And so I'm so stirred. If I wasn't fired up enough to preach the grace of God, I am even more stirred and fired up to keep preaching the gospel of His grace. Amen. And so there's something that happens when we go after this. We begin to create a culture and an environment where grace becomes like oxygen, where mercy is the climate. And 24-7, I want to say this to you, we are committed to being a house that creates environments and atmospheres of His grace and mercy so that you can encounter the living God. You can come with every brokenness, sickness, sin, situation, circumstance. You can come with whatever. This house, our doors are open. Our hearts are open. We will receive every lost son and daughter because our responsibility is to communicate the heart of God. And the heart of God is not one of judgment, guilt, shame, and condemnation. The heart of God is one of grace, mercy, love, acceptance, which leads to transformation. Amen? So this, this is the thing. We've got to understand. We've got to be real careful that we, we say we're making a stand for justice, but we don't understand the justice of God. Isaiah 42 talks about his justice. It's amazing. A broken, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So the justice of Jesus is mercy, grace, and transformation. The justice of Jesus is that the abuser and the abused are both forgiven, set free, and delivered. The justice of Jesus is the abuser and the abused worshiping Jesus together. And that is offensive to the human heart because we have been, the church has not known how to process pain and trauma. We don't know because the reality is we've been taught one, one thing is the, the copy and paste message of the gospel, which is like, don't even look at it, just put the gospel on it and everything's okay. And then we go like, I've got the gospel in my mouth, I'm trying to pretend like I'm okay, and maybe you can do that for years until you finally break. And then you realize, did it ever hit my heart? Did the gospel ever actually walk into the inner chambers of my heart and my being and bring transformation? Did I let the Father kiss my brokenness? Did I let the Father come into my pain? Come into my past and go, let me minister the gospel. Let me minister the finished work of the cross. And I've been so challenged by this this year, just going, Jesus, the gospel is not just a good message of hope. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. There is an evidence and a substance of the gospel in our lives. He wants to touch every part of our hearts and lives. And so I want to just say something today. I remove, as the visionary leader and, and, and a spiritual father of this house, I remove shame off of this house. In, this, in the spirit, I do it right now. I remove shame. That this is a shame-free zone. Shame does not get to come into this room. It does not get to rest on anyone in this community. We are a shame-free people. Guilt, shame, and condemnation are three tools of hell that will never be used by the Father. Never. And any time that we use them to manipulate people, we are operating in a spirit of witchcraft, and it is not the gospel. See, the spirit of perversion is an anti-grace spirit. And I'm not just talking about the sexual stuff. Perversion can be just to, to take the truth and make it something else. Corrupt the truth. It's an anti-grace spirit. And in this house, we're going to preach the gospel with consistency. We will not deviate. In fact, um, can you put that graphic up that says gospel-centered? It's from the six that I think I gave you guys earlier. We, we will not deviate from proclaiming the gospel, from demonstrating the gospel. Here it is. And celebrating the gospel of grace. We will not deviate from proclaiming, demonstrating, and celebrating the gospel of grace. That is what we do when we come together. That's what we do in our day-to-day -day life. We proclaim it, we demonstrate it, and we celebrate it. It's the greatest thing we've ever had the privilege of hearing and receiving. Are you with me?
I was reminded I'd forgotten about this, but the first, while I was there in Uppington, my friend, he, he reminded me of a testimony that happened on the first witness conference that I went to. I get up and I'm preaching grace. And while I was preaching, there was a 64-year-old woman sitting in the second row and she'd been deaf. And I think it was her left ear, completely deaf in her left ear. And just sitting under the teaching of grace, her ear popped open. Nobody touched her. Nobody, she's just hearing the message of grace, the, the purity, the potency of the gospel. Her ear opened up. Just wow. I mean, that, who gets the glory? Jesus. That's just incredible. And here's the thing. I'm telling you, Gen Z, even we say Gen Z because it's important for us to keep highlighting what God's doing in the next generation coming through. But I believe it's actually all the generations. We are looking for real. We are looking for the substance of the gospel. We're looking for the evidence of God. None of us have a desire to play church. If, that's, if people are part of a local church with just a desire to add it to their lives, they are not born again. Because to be born again means to be born out of something and into something new. Your internal world changes. Your desires change. Suddenly, there's a longing to be a part of something that's eternal. There's a longing to be something that is, it, it is a demonstration. There is a tangible expression to what we're talking about. The gospel either works or it doesn't work. Either it's a good story or it is the power of salvation. Amen? And so when we carry this, everything changes because now it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter situation, circumstance, pain, trauma. You, you walk through those things because grace holds you. See, grace births it, grace sustains it, and grace finishes it. Like, there's not a single person in this room that can encounter Jesus today outside of grace and mercy. And there's, we've got to get this revelation of what the grace of God does in our heart. If mercy is new every morning, it means when you wake up, it's like the first time you've been living for Jesus. Do you get this? If, mercy, if His mercy is new every morning, it means that when you wake up, you wake up brand new in the blood of Jesus. Some of us need to hear this. Five seconds ago was your past. Stop letting it speak. You hear me? This is how we get free from sin. You know, people, when I, when I preach this, they come at me hard, especially in the Afrikaans community, and they go like, you are so light on sin. And I'm like, no, you are light on sin. I'm so heavy on sin that I actually believe that the Father poured out the full wrath of heaven on His Son for it. That's how heavy I am on sin. I believe that the Father, He was so intense about it that He actually poured out all His wrath on Jesus. But He, he was so heavy on sin, but so passionately in love with you that He had to find a way to deal with sin that wouldn't affect you or wouldn't punish you. So Jesus took your punishment. Jesus took your judgment for your sin. He took it upon himself. And here's the wild, radical thing about Jesus. He did not just take your sin. He became your sin. He did not just take your addiction. He became the addict. Isaiah describes him and he says he was marred beyond description. In other words, you couldn't even recognize him as a man. Why? Because all the sin of all of existence, past, present, and future, he became and you say, Connor, no, how can you say that? Well, we cannot become his righteousness if he didn't become our sin. So he had to actually become the addictor, or the addicted. He had to become the murderer. He had to become uh, the liar. He had to become not just the sin, the sinner, so that we could become like him. It's wild. It's, it should be so offensive to our, our minds. We've got to let the gospel set us free. I love that the grace of God is, is washing over the church right now. We are being power washed across the globe. I'm serious. 
You're going to see it. It's a grace revolution. Jesus is power washing his bride with his blood. And it's why we've been coming out of COVID. Everything came up. God brought things to the surface, not to punish, judge, condemn, uh, bring guilt, shame, or condemnation, but he's power washing his bride going, I don't want this in your heart. Do you get it? Not the sin, the guilt, shame, and condemnation. Because here's the thing. I love this. Rob Rufus says this. He says, the father only expects, inspects the lamb. The father only inspects the lamb. So when you make a mistake, he's not coming and inspecting you. He's inspecting the lamb. So you go, Lord, I'm so sorry. Look at what I've done. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I see Christ. I see Christ. And the day that you see Christ is the day you're transformed. The day that when you look at yourself in your worst moment, you see Christ. That's when your heart goes, this is too good to be true, but it's so good because it is true. And it's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Lord, I repent. We're getting, I'm realizing something in the church, we're getting stuck in the journey because we think we have to journey it ourselves to get to the evidence of grace. But grace holds you in the journey. We're getting stuck in the journey because the journey's dry. But grace holds you in the journey. Grace holds you in the process. Grace holds your heart, speaks to your heart, ministers to your heart, comforts your heart. Grace transforms us. See, the grace of God makes me hungry for God. I, I can't be, I don't know how to be hungry for God if I don't have His grace because if I don't receive grace, I don't even think He's coming. Majority of us come to church and the reason why we don't come hungry is we're not actually sure He's going to be there to meet me. I've been in too many services, Lord, where you know, I saw everybody else encountering you, but I didn't encounter you. And so what happens is this passivity creeps into your heart where you just go, I'm not even sure that God wants to be with me. I, I actually lived a week separate from God, because I don't even know if God wants to meet me in my, in my car on the way to work or at home. I don't even know if God likes me. So I come to church with this uncertainty, and what I've done is I've disconnected myself from an environment of His presence. And I'm standing on the outside looking in and watching a people experience God, and the Father's going, what are you doing? I love you. Come. Sometimes it's as small as just turning your gaze. Like we go, God, where are you? And He goes, hello. I've been next to you the whole time. Just turn your head. I've been speaking to you the whole time. Unblock your ears. You with me? The grace of God, the good news of the gospel is so powerful. It will pick up your life. Gets rid of all the junk, all the mess, all the lies of the enemy that have come against you. Remember, I just want to say this. The enemy's looking for, for weakness in your life. And we go, oh, that means he's, he's looking for my biggest sin. Or whatever. No, listen. He's looking for, for your most vulnerable area of unbelief. That's what he's looking for. Because when he comes there, he's looking for that area of unbelief that if he can press that, then maybe you actually won't believe who you are in the Lord. That's where you'll question. That's where you'll second guess your identity. That's where you'll go, God, I can't be that because look at this. Or he's looking for that little bit of unbelief that he can hit. And this is where we've got to come to Jesus and go, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief like the man who comes to Jesus. Strengthen my faith. I receive you. Does that make sense? Can you go to Galatians real quick? Galatians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the Galatians now. Remember, this church is, was birthed in the grace of God. This church was birthed in a revelation of receiving justification by faith, receiving His grace, receiving His mercy, okay? And so Paul's now writing to them, listen to this language. 
It's quite intense. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would act like this? To whom right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is all I want to ask of you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as the result of obeying the requirements of the law? Or was it the result of hearing with faith and believing it? Interesting question. He goes, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, here's the thing. The Christian life is not lived. It cannot be lived apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot see Christ lived in and through you without the Spirit of Christ. Amen? So he's, he's saying that the essence of our Christianity is the Spirit of Jesus in us. And he's saying, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit by faith when you heard the message? It's a powerful declaration Paul's asking. He's going... You know that you were birthed in this by faith. You were not birthed in this by actually your own works or your own attempts or anything that you did right. You did not earn this. You received it as a gift by faith, right? Then he says this, Are you so foolish and senseless, having begun your new life by faith with the Spirit, are you now being perfected and reaching spiritual maturity by the flesh? That is, by your own works and efforts to keep the law. He's saying, having begun by the Spirit, having started by faith in the Holy Spirit and His work in you, Christ in you, are you now trying to step into maturity in your faith by doing it yourself? Majority of the Western church are doing this. When we, when we get born again and saved, it's like, thank God for grace and mercy. Nobody was criticized. When you, get, when you got born again, you didn't walk into the church on your first Sunday and go like, yeah, you know, so-and-so, that's what's going on in their life and the gossip and the slander. You didn't do that. You came in and you were just so grateful and so thankful that you had grace, that you had mercy, that God had mercy on your life and on your heart. And you just wrapped up in this wonder of who He is, the, the nature of God. I'm so glad that God loves me, right? That's how we're born. we're born into Him by receiving the free gift of salvation by faith. It's His grace that cascades over us and we're wrecked by it. But so many of us start there and then as we begin to walk into maturity, we begin to shift from that place and we begin to do things in our own effort and striving and trying to attain something and trying to prove something. And it's why we get weary. It's why we get disillusioned. It's why we get disappointed. And suddenly now we're projecting our insecurities on people and on the Lord. And now because I'm insecure, I'm tired, I know I'll never reach the standard, I'm, I, I, I cannot do it anymore, I'm exhausted and I'm just tired of it. Now it's easier for me to sit back, criticize the church, criticize the pastor, criticize God. And I've seen pastors react to this and they go like, I'm so sick of people doing that. And I'm going, no, 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 hold on. If you receive the heart of God and you see through his lenses, you go, they stepped out of grace and they came under the law and they're exhausted. And as a shepherd, I'm speaking to your hearts today and I'm saying, if you're in this place and you're exhausted, Return to grace. Return to your first love. Return to His mercy. You can't do it. I'm, I'm crying out to your heart and I'm going, you can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. We need Him. Our neediness of Jesus is the greatest strength of the church today. Because I promise you what's going to set the church on fire to burn in this day and age is not our own strengths. We're not, we're not going to be impressive. God's not looking for an impressive church. He's looking for a yielded, dependent church on the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Because let me tell you something. When the, when the sinner meets the all-sufficiency of Jesus in the saint, they want in. Because what they're getting is not somebody who has the story of, I once was like this, then I started going to church, and now I'm doing a lot better, and you should do that too. That's not the story of Christianity. The story of, of God's story, His dream through you is this. I needed to die so that I could live. I had no hope. There was nothing left to live for apart from Jesus. 
And then he gave me a brand new life. And that brand new life means this. I'm not living by guilt, shame, and condemnation. I'm not looking back. I have no right to look back and see anything but the blood. So the beautiful thing is when the blood of Jesus washes our lenses, when we look back, we see his blood. When I look forward, I see his blood. When I look left or right, I see his blood. It's Christ in me. You know, he talks about this in verse 6. He's like, just as Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness, he's explaining this is the same covenant we walk in. So here's Abraham, a pagan from Iraq. Abraham. A pagan from Iraq, worshiping idols, just crazy guy. And he's just going along one day and the father decides, I'm going to speak to you, Abraham. And he speaks to him. He says, hey, Abraham, you're my friend. I love you and you're righteous. And Abraham goes, I believe. Thank you. Wow, God, you're incredible. This, is, this must be the one true God, because he came and found me and told me I'm his. And God goes, thank you. Your faith in my word, your faith in what I say makes you righteous. We have to get this through our hearts and our minds and go, when we're trying to live under the law, we still think we can attain our own sense of righteousness. You cannot do it. You will never, ever, 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 ever be righteous in your own attempt. Self-sufficiency is the enemy of humanity. Self-sufficiency is the enemy of humanity. And yet, isn't it interesting that what is the message of the world? You need to be independent, self-sufficient, get off the grid. All these different things. You need to have it together. You need to know how to do this on your own. And then fear creeps in. It's amazing. It's like, well, how do you know if you're self-sufficient? How do you know when you've actually arrived at self-sufficiency? So now people are actually pretending to have it all together. No, things are good. Everything's great. Today. I had a panic attack in the bathroom about five minutes ago, but came to, no, lacquer, man. Everything's good. Business is good. Family's good. No, you can tell I'm a pastor. I'm getting to a place now where we sit down and have coffees and people do that and I just go, okay, cool. Cut the garbage, let's go. What's going on? What's happening in your heart? And then people begin to get emotional because they go, wow, you actually care about my heart. And, and we've got to take the emphasis off of works. The, the fruit of our lives, it's the byproduct of being rooted in Christ. I expect fruit. I'm not chasing it, I expect it. If I'm in Christ, fruit's going to come from my life. And this is the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. You can't unhear Him when He speaks to you. He's just so good like that. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, it's like you, you're kind of trying to run from it, and then you realize it's here, and you can't get away from it. And he's just going like, I want to speak to you about what I'm saying. I love you. See, the lie is that we've allowed the law to speak to our souls, and we think it's the Holy Spirit. So now we think the Holy Spirit is condemning us. We think the Holy Spirit is judging us. We think the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you of your sin. But it's interesting because when we see that, and John, he talks about it, he says, convicting you of your sin, unbelief. The Holy Spirit is not trying to convict you of your sins to make you stop sinning. He's trying to convict you of your unbelief so that you can believe in the righteousness of Christ, which equals a life that's not going to be stuck in sin. Hello. No, no, that's, that's heresy. No, it's in your Bible. I'm, I'm tired of people accusing grace preachers of heresy. Are there people who are 
Yes, now listen, there's a, there's a movement called hyper grace and whatever, and it's these guys who preach this message of like, do whatever the heck you want. You don't even have to preach the gospel. You don't have to do anything. Just You're just loved and accepted, and you're basically seated at the right hand of the Lord, so just, we're just waiting for him to rock up. That's not what we're talking about. That's a perverted expression of the gospel. It's not the truth. See, we're going to be a church built in the firm foundation of the gospel of His grace, which means a couple things. It means that we expect transformation in our hearts. It means that we expect to obey the Great Commission. It means that we expect to see the evidence of Christ's likeness in our lives, not because we earned it, but because Christ is actually in us. Jesus is actually building His church. We actually belong to something far bigger than ourselves. And I promise you, this expression that we have, this is just the war room. This is just where we get together and we get fired up, we get equipped, we worship Jesus, we minister to Him. Sundays are not for the lost. They're not. See, what happened was, if you study church history, people started getting saved on a Sunday and it became a, the primary gathering. So what happened was, because it was the primary gathering, that's when a lot of people were getting saved. So they said, let's shift our gatherings and go after the lost. And they did that and people started getting saved. But you know what happened? We stopped equipping the church into maturity because now Sunday mornings became about just reaching the lost. But actually, if you study what the church is designed for, the corporate gathering is first and foremost for the Lord. It's not even for people. It's for Him. We came together to love Him. We came together to minister to Him. We came to hear His voice. One of our metrics for success as a church is this. Did God speak? If we get together like this and God didn't speak, I'm asking questions. I go into the, the week and I go, okay, Jesus, what do we need to shift and change? Because if you're not here to speak, we didn't honor your presence. Right? We need to hear the voice of God. So when we do that, guess what happens? Something gets on the inside of you. It's the gospel. Something gets on the inside of your heart. It's the spirit of Jesus. And when you leave this place, you are a walking, proclaiming, demonstrating, celebrating, living expression, living letter of the gospel, and people are going to get touched, saved, and discipled. You're called to make disciples, but it comes from being rooted and grounded in His love, filled with His grace and mercy so that you can represent Him well. And there's an agenda right now there's an agenda right now that's coming through the church where we, we don't realize it, but we are becoming political. We are shifting. And we're becoming political. We have a political agenda. Now, here's the thing. Do I believe that the gospel will bring transformation to politics? Yes, I do. Let me tell you why. Because God's after hearts. But we've got to be very, very careful that we don't start to shift under this, this banner of justice, but we've actually missed the heart of God, which is justice is redemption and reconciliation. That is the justice of heaven. And you go, well, well what about you know, unjust things that are happening and the vengeance of God? Yes, absolutely. Guess what the vengeance of Jesus or the vengeance of God is? It's Jesus hanging on the cross. Because God's vengeance was never on man. It was on the enemy for, for bringing the lie that we believed. The vengeance of God, the, it was, the, the justice of heaven was on the cross. He said, I'm doing it once and for all. It is finished. I'm going to win this thing. And now he's saying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my spirit in the sons and daughters of God that they'll actually believe I won it, and now they will triumph in my victory. See, to triumph in his victory is to make his victory evident. This is how we see the gospel advance. It's the outrageous, unconditional, wild love of God that is far beyond our comprehension. It, it is so offensive to the human mind, but it is so liberating to the human heart. It's this gospel that as we preach it, demonstrate it, and live it, it will bring the furthest, the darkest, the most broken, the unwanted, the forgotten, and they will come running because this is the answer to humanity. 
I'm nervous when we start to try and make a stand for justice, but what it's producing is division, bickering, and strife in the church. But we're standing there going, no, this is it's, it's time for the church to stand in this day and age, and we've got to be there. Yes, it's time for the church to stand. Guess, guess how the kingdom works? In the low places. I believe the bride of Christ is going to be radiant because she's, she's ready to go low and serve. She's ready to bring the kingdom of heaven here. Everyone else is panicking about all this stuff. They're freaking out about politics and governments and, and Babylon, which is promised to fall. Your job is not to fix earth. Your job is not to fix earth. Your job is to preach the gospel. Your job is to be a demonstration of the kingdom of heaven. You come low and you infiltrate society with what? The power of the gospel. And suddenly people are getting saved. It's a kingdom of hearts. Jesus is not coming back. He's not going to come back and go, thank you so much for building this business. I'm going to take this out. This is going to be a part of our millennial kingdom. Sorry, I'm cheeky. No eschatology. We're just going to stay here. He's going to make all things new. I'm not living for a better earth. I'm living for a new city. It's the new Jerusalem. And guess what it is? It's not a temple made with human hands. It's a temple of human hearts. God is going to dwell upon and in His people. See, grace, here's the thing. Why do we need to preach grace? Grace is preparing that bride. There is a lot right now that's being called the church, and it's not the church. You can have a cross on your building. You can have a pastor who wears a nice thing, whatever. You can do all that stuff. You can tick all the boxes. That doesn't mean you're a church. Well, let me say this. It doesn't mean you're the church Jesus is building. The church that Jesus is building is set firmly on the foundation of the gospel. You will see the marks of Christ. And if he's not building it, I don't want in on it. Right? I'm telling you, we're going to see God hit this city with power. But it's not going to be impressive. It's not going to be us like, wow, look at 24-7. They've just got these amazing strategies on how they're going to reach Joburg. It's not going to look like that. People are going to come and go, these people are like nameless, faceless, but you see Christ. You see Christ. It's like the, I don't, people who belong to 24-7 are infiltrating society. They meet you and they go, who, what are you? How, how do you, like, who are you people? And this is why I said our living rooms are going to be the greatest weapon of growth. Because if people have come to your home group or your living room and they've had dinner with you and, and five other couples or families or, or people in the church, by the time they get to a Sunday gathering like this, they're already being discipled into a culture of the kingdom. Why? Because you're doing what you're called to do, making disciples on the earth. Why? Because you're covered in grace and mercy. You look like Jesus. So I want to encourage you today, when you walk out of this room, you need to, you need to understand and know that you look like Jesus right now. If you are a born-again believer, if you're not, you need to come here and get born again. Let's pray. Let's get born again. Let's give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Not say a prayer. Not invite him into your heart. Crucify everything that made you who you were. And now you come alive in a brand new identity in Christ. If you have that, if you've, if you've received the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you today, you look like Jesus. You look like Jesus. You. Yep. You. And you go like, well, what about all my ugly mess? Yeah, Jesus took it on himself. I, I realize I've preached this many times. I'm going to end with this because it will make you laugh. And then we're done. I'm going to end with this. I used to preach this years ago, and I've realized that there's a lot of people that have joined 24-7 in the last couple of years that maybe don't know some of these foundational teachings. But I shared it in Uppington, and it went down like lead. It was just like, <laughs> because the humor didn't go with the Afrikaans people, but it's okay. But then people got free. But here's the thing. We go on this journey with Jesus, right? I'm just, I need to do it to redeem the joke, so please laugh. <laughs> we get born again. 
And we're like, wow, God, your grace and your mercy. And I'm just so excited. And I'm just so in love with you. And you've covered me in your blood. And there's no sin. And there's no, I'm just, I'm in love with you. And then we go on a journey of following Jesus. And then we make a mistake. And like when that happens, this is the majority of the Christians. Oh, I can't believe it. I thought that I got saved. I thought that the mercy and, and the grace of Jesus transformed my life. I just sinned again. I thought I was a saint now, not a sinner. How can this happen? Do you know what we do? We set up camp around our turd. <laughs> and we go, you know what? Let's set up a 10-day camp here. And I'm just going to look at this thing and go, I cannot believe that came out of me. I can't believe I produced that. And so now what we do is we start to analyze the turd and go, God, this thing is disgusting. I'm so sorry, Jesus. Lord, forgive me. And then we get worse and we go, God, look at this turd. I, I'm, forgive me, Father. I'm so sorry. And the father's on the other side of this conversation. He's going, get your turd out of my face. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to see it. I already paid for it. Right? And so what happens is, this is what we do. We camp out in these places and we, we, we manage to sometimes pick ourselves up and we drag ourselves on the journey. We're pulling the turd behind us. We get to the next one. Another one. God, I can't believe this. And we're exhausted and we're, we're, we're tired and we're so, we're so analytical and critical of ourselves and we get tired of doing that so we, we're going to do it for everyone else. And here's the thing. We start to measure our sin. I'm going to get even funnier. But God, at least my turd's not as big as that turd who's like, you know what I'm saying? We start doing this. All the English people are laughing. Afrikaans people are <laughs> I know I'm being funny. That one's for Gen Z, okay? If you're offended, I'm sorry. I love you. I said turd in church. At least I said turd. <clears throat> listen. Listen. I know it's funny, but, but God's using humor to disarm us. This is what happens. And we start to measure and we go like, well, you know, I, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad, God. And so, you know, and then we, 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 we think, like, I, I can justify my state because I can look at somebody else and go, that looks worse. Let me say something to you. God does not measure sin. We do. God doesn't measure sin. The same consequences were on the liar as the murderer. Same consequences. So the church needs to stop measuring sin, and we need to teach people how to stop looking at it. You with me? So now, here's the Christian life. Get born again, radically, <laughs> radically saved, covered, drenched in mercy and grace. I'm on my journey. I, I trip up. I slip. Maybe the first one, I camped out a few days, but then I learned something. God, you are not putting the emphasis on this. You don't want me to look at this. You don't want me to wave it in your face. You've set me free from it. So what do I need to do? Here's the answer to the question. But if I'm saved by grace, what do I do when I've sinned? Get up and keep following Jesus. And make sure that you're in a community of people who are telling you to get up and keep following Jesus. Not saying, you know what, let's take that turd into the lab for tests because we need to see how deep this one goes. <laughs> how far back this goes into your past and your history. How long has that thing been forming inside of you? <laughs> and then we call it inner healing. <laughs> Forgive me, Jesus. So here's the thing. When you learn and you go... <laughs> When you learn and you go, okay, Jesus, you don't want me to camp out you anymore. 
you start getting up and moving quicker. And the quicker you get up and move, the less you fall. And now when you trip, it's like, oh, no ways, I'm following Jesus. And then suddenly you find your stride. And suddenly you begin to find a momentum in the grace of God. And now that thing that you were struggling with, you go, that was actually, I can't even remember the last time that that happened. Or I thought about that or I struggled with that. Or, and you go, how did this transformation happen? Because you weren't looking at it. You were looking at him. So when, when you trip and you make a mistake, you get up and you keep going. You don't deviate. Why? Because he's still saying, come. You with me? Okay, let's stand together. I know it's hot. I know it's been a long service. When revival comes in, in greater glory, we'll be spending hours and hours together. So it's good. Let's lift our hands. Jesus, thank you for your church. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for this house. Thank you for today, Lord. What a family moment. Just praying over our core team, worshiping you together, hearing the gospel of grace, encouraging one another and being refreshed in your presence. Lord, I pray right now that you would fill every person in this room. I know, Lord, sometimes you use humor to disarm us, but God, I also know that there are people in this room whose hearts are really tender and, and you're just meeting us right there. You're touching us in the deep places of our heart. Jesus, you're more than enough. Right now, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that's making our memories new. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that's washing over us, cleansing, redeeming, restoring, renewing. Thank you that in you we have no right to see anything else but your blood. So we choose you, Jesus. We choose to see you. Thank you that you birth it in us, that you sustain us, and you finish it in us. You're the author, you're the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. Our confidence is in you, God. And so I'm asking, make grace and mercy the culture of 24-7, that we would be a grace and mercy people. Thank you for environments of encounter, that when people come, when they meet us in, in our spheres of influence, that they would encounter the mercy of God, the grace of God. Lord, I just speak to every situation and circumstance in this room, and I speak the grace and the peace of our Lord over that situation. I speak truth. Lord, even where we have to let go, where outcomes are not what we thought, grace enables us to just follow you. Thank you that no matter what happens in our lives, we can always look forward with hope, with confidence, and with an expectation of the dream of God in our hearts and lives. Following Jesus is an adventure. It's not based on results. It's not based on outcomes. It's based on intimacy with Him. The greatest evidence of Christ in us is oneness with His voice, oneness with His Spirit. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room today that has never encountered You, I ask today that the gospel would fall on their hearts, open their hearts to receive, and that You would meet them in power. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's, that's hearing the gospel of grace for the first time and go, man, I actually have never given my life to Jesus. I might have been in, in circles of the church or Christianity, but I've never given my heart to Jesus. God, I pray right now that you would move in power on their heart and call them home. That their lives would never be the same again. And lastly, Holy Spirit, thank you that your grace by the Holy Spirit is preparing us as a people of your presence to have global impact, God, to reach our city, to reach our nation, and to reach the nations of the earth. So, Father, we thank you that you are raising up sons and daughters, that creation is groaning for the revealing of the true sons and daughters of God. 
These are the ones who are clothed in Christ, who look like Him. So we just say, Lord, make a holy example out of 24-7. Make a holy example out of this house. Lord, I bless this house. I bless every person. I bless every family. And if, if, if there's anyone in this room that needs physical healing, I release it right now by faith. I thank you for physical healing in every back, every neck, hips, every joint, knees, ankles, God. Thank you. I speak to the liver. I speak to kidneys. I release healing right now in this room. I thank you for wholeness in Jesus' name. And Lord, for emotional health, I thank you that where you are asking us to let go, we let go. We let go. And we fix our gaze on you, Jesus. We're ready to run. May this house be a house that sees the redemption of the destiny of God over people's lives, that there will never be a sin or a failure or a situational circumstance that will ever disqualify or hold anyone back, but that we will see the gospel transform. We love you, we worship you, and we honor you today. You're our King of glory, and we worship you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for staying. If you need prayer, we have a team that would love to pray for you. Please have some coffee.